this is one of those lessons today that if it's if it doesn't pertain to you because I know as I studied this I I realize there's a lot of people at High Point Church that maybe it doesn't directly apply to but I really want us to to look at this anyway just to make sure that we're covering all the bases um, but I will say this and it's something I thought of is that we have to be careful that when we hear something that we don't say, well, I'm sure glad so-and-so's here so they can hear that. And not at least apply it to our lives and see if it fits. So if you would with me this morning, just stay with me and we'll, we'll get through this. And there is certainly a purpose and an ending here. Let me bring this mic down just a little bit. Have you ever wondered why after all of the great things that President Abraham Lincoln accomplished in his life, his portrait is engraved on the face of the common penny and not a possibly more noble coin like a, a quarter or a half dollar or a silver dollar. But you see this, this man that did such tremendous things and his face is engraved on this very simple coin. There was a man named David Brenner that grew up in Russia in poverty and hardship and after he came to the United States after a lot of work, he became a famous sculptor. It was David Brenner who was actually responsible for placing the face of Abraham Lincoln on the face of the penny because of a quote that Abraham Lincoln had made. This is what he said. Abraham Lincoln said, The Lord must love common people. He has made so many of them. And Brenner's idea was that there would be more pennies minted than any other coin, and consequently, there would be more of them in the pockets of common people. And the penny was a reminder of President Lincoln's respect and advocacy for the poor and the common people. And that's what I want us to look at today, because likewise as Christians, we have to remember the commands of the Scripture when it comes to these same issues. The Bible is very clear that we are voices and responsible advocates for the poor, the needy, and the powerless that are around us every day. Today I want us to look at what the Bible says about not only looking after our own welfare, but also remembering those whose welfare depends on the help of others. And let me clarify before, I, before we read our scripture text, before someone turns me off because they think I'm saying something I'm not. So hold on here and let me say this. I am not saying that the government should take care of everything in everyone's life. That's not what I'm saying. I am not saying that there should be no personal responsibility. That's not what I'm saying either. I am saying that there are those that are doing everything they possibly can, and they still cannot make it. James 1.27 says this, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows and their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And I think this is, knowing this scripture, it would seem logical that we would show mercy to those that are around us because remember, mercy is undeserved favor, unmerited favor. And what the writer here was saying is, you want to know what religion, you're all arguing about what religion God accepts? Let me tell you what religion he accepts. It's to look after the orphans and the widows in their distress. 
and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Not all the religions of the world, but the simple, simple things, like looking after those that maybe can't help themselves. Before we read our scripture text, I want us also to look at a word that is found over 70 times in the book of Psalms. The word is selah, S-E-L-A-H. In Hebrew, it means to lift up. Its use in the context of the Psalms is really not known. And if you study this word, you'll see that there are a lot of different opinions over what it really meant and how it was used in the, in the Old Testament and especially in the Psalms. It's also used in the book of Habakkuk. It is possible, and I'll give you a couple different theories, and you can choose the one that you like. It's possible that it, a musical interlude was to be inserted at this point where this word appeared. It's also possible that it's similar to the word amen that is sung at the end of some of the hymns that we sing. It's significant to note that the word selah is often inserted at a key verse in a passage. Maybe it's meant as a, a place for someone to pause for reflection. It's almost like the writer was saying, here's something I, I have to say. And it's very important, before, it, so f before you go on and read the rest of it, I want you to stop and think about what I just said. So with that in mind, let's read Psalm 82, verses 1 through 4. God presides in the great assembly. He gives judgment among the gods. How long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. Think about that. Pause for reflection for a moment. Let's go on. Defend the cause of the weak and fatherless. Maintain the rights of the poor and oppressed. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. One of the most important qualities of a godly society is, is its administration of justice. In ancient Israel, the job of dispensing justice was given to the judges. In ancient Egypt, their effectiveness or lack of effectiveness, whichever one you choose, is the subject of Psalm 82. You see, when the Jews escaped from Egypt, there were no judges. And keep in mind, there were millions of people that escaped out of Egypt. And there was only one person that was available to hear disputes and communicate God's will to the people, and that was Moses. One person for millions of people. So at some point, God communicated to Moses through his father-in-law, Jethro, that he was to appoint men, men that were wise and experienced, who feared God, men who were trustworthy and hated dishonest gain. And that's why that there was appointed judges once they reached, the Jews reached the promised land. The judges were appointed to help settle disputes. And what happened is they set up houses or booths at the gates of the city to perform their duties. And, and they resolved conflicts. They exercised judgment for not only the Jews, but for visitors that came to, the, to Israel as well. And over the years, their responsibilities increased, and so did their power and their status. Here's the problem. The judges were called to treat everyone alike, the rich and the poor. They were to be representatives of God. They were make, to make sure that no one 
was treated unfairly. They were to especially look out for the poor, whose needs were often overlooked by the rest of society. Maybe those that weren't as educated, that didn't, didn't really know what the, the right that they had was, and that could easily be taken advantage by more educated people. The judge's job was to take the facts and the law and to make a godly decision based on that. The problem was this. The, the decisions the judges made were not always impartial. Some took bribes, or they had a personal stake in siding with one party or over another. Some even thought that being poor was a result of sin. So if you were poor, then you, they equated that to you being a sinner, and they would just judge against you, and then there were others that just didn't care. These were men that are appointed by God. In Psalm 82, the passage we just read, God's response to the corruption of the judges is depicted as this great assembly. God presides in the great assembly. Attending this assembly were the, and you see it, it's in quotes, the gods, little g. These are the judges. The very judges and rulers that God had appointed to watch over the people, he's called them together. And in this depiction, God is at the head of the assembly himself. So let's picture this together. Well, I want us to get this picture. All the, This is a depiction of, of what needs to happen. God calls in all these judges and people that are supposed to be making godly decisions, and he's up at the head, and he is going to say something to all of them. It's very likely that the judges came expecting to be praised for all the good things they'd done. They were very proud of themselves. However, that really wasn't the case. The problem was that they had failed in the very basics of their duties. If you look in verses 3 and 4, it was to defend the cause of the weak and fatherless, maintain the rights of the poor and oppressed, and deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Instead of praise, they received condemnation for their failure to give justice to those who needed it the most. Now, let me also clarify something else. That does not mean that in these situations that there was supposed to be favoritism shown to the poor any more than there was favoritism to be shown to the rich. The idea was that it needed to be fair and impartial and show true justice according to the law. Now, I'm sure some of you are thinking I'm going to go somewhere with this that I'm not going to go, and that's to Supreme Court appointees, and we're just not going to go there this morning. But the law should be based and judgment should be made according to the law, not by the person's status. We can't any more rule in favor of somebody because they're rich than they could rule in favor of somebody because they were poor. It's the law. And that's what God was upset about. God was, he was saying, you're just picking and choosing people. You're not dispensing justice. God was saying that this was a place, of all places, where those who cannot help themselves should be treated fairly. When they come to you, God is at this assembly, and he's telling these, these judges, of all places that people should be able to come and be treated fairly, it would be you who are the wise people that were appointed because you're supposed to be following the godly law. And that's just not happening. 
But that goes for us as well. We should not decide how we treat someone based on their status in life. Look at it this way. If a man walked in the door this morning through this church, not dressed up, just wearing common clothes of the day, maybe even a little bit unkempt, and, and you look at him close when you shake his hand, you realize that his hands are, are really rough and calloused. Maybe he was, oh, I don't know, worked in wood for most of his life as a carpenter. And then behind him march in these 12 friends of his. And they all come in and sit down. And you can tell that all of these guys that are with him are from different points of walks of life and maybe even obvious that some of them are fishermen because they smell like fish. How welcome would they feel? This carpenter and his 12 friends? And not to mention that they had other friends that maybe one of them was a tax collector. And they also had other friends that their former job, one of them was a prostitute. How welcome would they feel? Now I would say that I know how the people of High Point Church are and the most loving people in the world. And I would say without a doubt, if those people walked into the church, they would be welcome. But what about if we met those same people in our everyday life outside of High Point Church? How would we treat them then? Would we treat them any different than the guy that drove up in a new BMW? The smelly fisherman and the carpenter with the rough hands. I believe that is what is at the heart of this passage and so many other passages in the Bible. Do we love everyone we see? Do we love everyone we meet in the same way? Do we feel that coming in contact with this person or these persons is an opportunity to minister or is it an opportunity to judge? The best way we can help the weak the poor, those that cannot help themselves, the oppressed, is to give them hope in Christ. That's not to say that we don't offer to help or we can't be available to help in other ways as well. But keep in mind that that hope that we give them in Christ is eternal. And we'll get to that offering them hope in Christ in a little bit later. While on this earth, Jesus ministered that to whoever would listen, Jesus did not pick his audience. He would stop someplace, and he would start preaching, and whoever came to hear him, he was okay with it. Whoever got in line to get prayed for, he was okay with it. He did not ask what they did for a living. He did not ask how much money they had. He just said, whoever... I will tell you something that I read just recently, and this was actually on the, the church website in the news section. One of the people that, and you know I don't do this very often, but I just want to give you an, 
an idea of what is not the way that Jesus intended things to be. This past year, Benny Hinn went to Uganda, which is on the border of the Congo where I'm going next week. And he charged $50 a person to get into the crusade. They make, the average income is $300 a year. That would be about two months' pay. What I'm, I don't say that to pick on Benny Hinn. I say that to say that we are not to only be willing to speak that those and witness and share the gospel with those who can afford it. The gospel is not ours to sell. If somebody wants to come to High Point Church and sit here for the next 50 years and not put a dollar in the offering, they're still welcome. You see, I am not selling my message this morning. I am here this morning to speak to whoever is here, and it's not at a charge. And we need to make sure that we don't look at people in different ways because of their ability to pay or not to pay or their ability to how much money they have in their pocket or how they look or how they smell or how they dress. The gospel is to whosoever will. Psalm 82, verses 5 through 8. We just got off track just a little bit there. We'll come back. They know nothing. They understand nothing. This is talking about the judges. They know nothing, they understand nothing, they walk about in darkness, all the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods, you are all sons of the Most High, but you will die like mere men, you will fall like every other ruler. Rise up, O God, judge the earth, for all the nations are your inheritance. The problem with the judges that are referred to in Psalm 82 is that most of them thought nothing of their negligence. They, they didn't think anything was wrong with what they were doing because they just did it for so long and it just didn't even come to their mind that I should be impartial. I shouldn't look at one person in a different way than I look at somebody else. Now I will tell you, it is difficult to do. I'm not saying that I'm the best in the world at doing that. If if, I, if somebody walks into my office, it is very difficult for me not to try to size that person up by the car they drove up in, the way they're dressed, the way they smell. It's hard to do, but let me tell you, you have to do it. It doesn't matter. And that's in a car lot. It sure shouldn't matter in a church. That when a person comes in, what they if they rode up on a bicycle, if they came in in a straw hat and flip-flops, it doesn't matter. They should be treated exactly the same way. I can tell you that I have seen, I have seen that scenario many times in the the business that I'm in. I 
taught my salespeople a long time ago. You don't judge people by the way they look. I have seen guys come in in overalls that maybe nobody wanted to go out and talk to, and when it was all said and done, he goes out to the trunk of his car and gets a paper bag full of $100 bills and plunks them down for about $40,000 and pays for a car. So, again, if we don't do that in business, then we certainly shouldn't do it in the work of the Lord. And that's what these judges were doing. These judges were picking and choosing on who could help them out, who could pay them, and if the poor people were equated to sinners, then I sure don't want to rule in favor of them. First of all, these men were called to be communicators of God's will, and they showed very little understanding of his desires. The Bible says that they show nothing, they know nothing, they understand nothing of the ways of God. How could they judge the way God would want them to judge if they didn't know the ways of God? Likewise, how can we be like Jesus if we don't know and adhere to the ways that he taught and lived his life? Although they were commanded to give justice to those in need, they ended up favoring those who could give them something instead. They were, in the words of the writer, walking around in darkness with no comprehension of what God's will was at all. This was such a big deal that this, this passage even says that their injustice shook the very foundations of God's relationship with the world. You go, well, I don't, I don't get it. What, what is the big deal about this? But read that what it says. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. God took this seriously. Now here's why. Follow me for just a minute here. I am going somewhere. Remember, God had a special relationship with the people of Israel. They were his chosen people. His intent was to reveal his character through the people of Israel. His intent was to show their neighbors and surrounding countries what his character was through his people. But if his people didn't follow his will, how would the people around know what God's character was? If they looked at these judges, they would think that God was like every, everybody else. These judges had a specific role in this plan. Remember, they were chosen because they were men of God. They were chosen specifically to communicate God's will through their actions. And by the same token, when we are not fair in our judgment of people, not only do we misrepresent who God is, we misrepresent the very nature of Jesus Christ. To treat people differently based only by what their social status is makes us no different than the judges mentioned in Psalm 82. And when people look at us and they see that we are supposed to be a Christian, that we are supposed to show the character of Christ, and they see us do that, what are they going to say? You're no different. Your Christ isn't all that great. Your Christ isn't any different than I am. If you're his reflection, 
So because of the attitude of the judges, instead of being rewarded for their diligence, the writer said that they would die in disgrace. And although the, the writer ends this psalm in sadness, it doesn't end without hope. Though deploring the failures and the, uh, of the privileged and the powerful to dispense justice, the writer knows that all is not lost. He doesn't leave it with this no hope. He calls upon the Lord to deliver justice to the people he loves, those who have been neglected by the leaders that God appointed. And I believe that a scripture in Second Chronicles 7 and 14 speaks to this same subject. It says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. You see, I believe that God will ultimately dispense his, dispense his justice. But in this passage of Scripture right here in Second Chronicles, we are called to do some things first. We are called to humble ourselves. We are called to seek His face. We are called to turn from our wicked ways. And it's then that we will hear from heaven and God will heal our land. And that's what these judges should have been doing all along. They should have been seeking God's face to say, God, help me in this decision. When these people stand before me, help me to say the right thing. Help me to adhere to the law. Help me to be impartial. Help me to treat everyone exactly the same way. And I believe that's what we should do in our lives. Psalm 113, verses 5 through 9. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with the princes, with the princes of their people. He settles the barren woman in her home as a happy mother of children. Praise the Lord. At the time that these psalms were written, there were basically... In a, in a Jewish city consisted of, of two different groups of people. The first were the well-to-do. This group included the religious leaders, the merchants, and the city administrators, the politicians. And they lived comfortable lifestyles in the better part of town. Now, I want you to picture this in your mind here. This is a really important thing here. At the opposite end of the scale were the poor. They lived in a less favorable part of town and struggled to even get their daily needs met. Outside most cities of that day, at the lowest geographical point of town, was the dump. In the King James Version, where it says ash heap, it says the dung hill because of its location. And it was the place where raw sewage was easily washed into. So stay with me. Here's the city. They find a place that has a varying altitude geographically. The wealthy people live up on the high part of town. At the very extreme lower part of town, outside the city gates, was the trash dump. It was the sewage receptacle. And the reason why is because all of the sewage from the higher part of town could be easily washed down and it would make its way to the lower part of town into the 
dump or the dunghill. So all of that raw sewage from uptown had to go through the poor people's part of town. And then it stayed right on the edge of where they lived. We're going somewhere. The dump was the repository for everything found useless by other people. It was a place that included things like dead animals, rotten food from the, the market, droppings of, from the animals that wandered through the streets, anything else that people had no longer had a need for. This lower geographical part of town, more often than not, was where the poor people lived. And the poor could often be found, since it was so close, scrounging around in the dump for something that they could make use of. You say, well, why did you say that? Because in Psalm 113, God is depicted sitting high enthroned on His throne. But here's the beautiful part of the story. He, God Himself, is not too proud to come off of His throne and notice the struggles of those caught in unfortunate circumstances. Look where it says he goes. He goes to where they are. In verse 7, he goes to the dump. God himself, who is seated on the throne, the writer makes it clear, he's seated on the throne, and he gets up from the throne and he goes and meets the people at the dump. Put the King James Version on It's more graphic. Where they are in the dunghill, the smelliest part of town, and that's where God goes to meet them. And then God takes these poor that he, he finds down at the dump, digging through the, the throwaways of everybody else, and he seats them with the princes of their people. So that now, they're treated as equals. But it doesn't stop there. God even changes the circumstances that a lot of times put the people where they were. The, the one example that's given here is, a, is an example of a barren woman is given children. She becomes a happy mother so that she has children in her home. And keep in mind that this example was, was especially graphic in that day because a, a woman that didn't have children, that had never had children or had lost her children, often lived in a state of despair. And so what this passage is saying, that God has taken this woman who was living in a state of despair because she had no children, and now He's given her children. She can be a happy mother in her home. And God is saying this to these judges, you were supposed to be doing this all along. But because as your power increased, so did your status, and you found yourself being too high and mighty to deal with the poor people, 
So let me just show you how it's done. Since I created you and everything that you know, let me show you how it should be. I get up from my throne and I'll meet with the people down at the dump. The judges and the others of power and privilege were called to represent God's character. To do so, all they had to do was follow His example. To get out of their comfort zone and go to where the poor and the needy were. I believe that God has a very special concern for the powerless. I'm not saying He loves poor people more than He loves rich people. I'm not saying that. But I do believe that He has a very special concern for the powerless. And I believe that He expects those of us with material and financial wealth to be generous to those who are needy. And let me just throw this in. Providing for the less fortunate is not just a suggestion in the Bible. It's a command. No matter how much we think our, our many material items and financial security are gifts from God, it is important to remember that these things have been given to us for a reason. We can thank God. Thank you, Lord, for, for helping me do this and helping me be successful in my business and helping me to do this and, and, and to be wealthy. And that's great. We should thank God for that. But we have to realize that He gave us those things for a reason. Now, I am not, please, don't get this wrong. I am not saying go out and sell your home next week and, and give it to the poor. I'm not saying that unless God tells you to. If he tells you to, then you need to do it. I am saying, though, that so many times, I think if we're not careful, we find ourselves only giving from our excess. Boy, I got quiet on that. I'll say it again. I think if we're not careful, we find ourselves only giving from our excess. And not giving as a sacrifice. Now, let me also stop and clarify something else. I want to tell you all how much, and I've said this a couple Sundays ago, how much it means to me the money that has come in for this trip. Because I know there were sacrifices. I know, I, I, just, I know there was. For that much money to come in from this group of people, there were sacrifices. And I, I appreciate that. With that being said, I'm not just talking about giving to somebody in the form of, of money. I believe the Bible tells us that we should assist those with the same resources that we have been provided with. And to do this, it will probably take a change in some attitudes. The need for believers to care 
for the underprivileged and those that are in need is a constant theme throughout the Bible. But too often, if we're not careful, we get caught up in our own needs and desires. And we have to challenge ourselves to do something. Sometimes our excuse might be that we just don't see the needs. And I believe that. Because we usually see what we look for. So maybe we need to change the way that we look and ask God to help us see the needs. We know there will always be people in the world that are less fortunate than we are. But let me, let me say this. It may not be those that are homeless and out of work. It might be in a completely different way that we reach out to someone. It might be in a way that, that there's someone who doesn't have a means of transportation and they don't have a way to get to the store, and you've, you know that, and you say, well, why don't I come pick you up and take you to the grocery store? And I know there's people here that do that. I know for a fact there's people that do that here at this church. But it's something that all of us should be aware of. Maybe the neighbor's kids because their parents are both working jobs and they're working long hours, maybe one of the, the boy or girl and the next-door neighbor, the, the kids don't have a way to get to baseball or basketball practice. Maybe you could give them a ride. Could be an elderly person in your neighborhood who just needs some help in, in preparing things around the house, maybe preparing meals. There are so many gifts and talents that we have been blessed with that could be used to give to others that don't include money. See, that's what we get caught up in so many times when we start talking about these things. We think it's all about money. It's all about cash. And sometimes it's just simply giving of ourselves. Sometimes it's simply being a friend to somebody. We, we know somebody that's lonely and we just pick up the phone and call them. We sit down and, and write them a card and write something inside of it as an encouragement. You see, I believe that's exactly what this passage of Scripture is talking about as well. It's, it's looking to, to see those that maybe have a need and we find a way to meet it. Take money out of the picture for a moment. And then look around. Look around your neighborhood, and maybe there's somebody down the street who just doesn't get around well. What an unbelievable example of Christ would that be just to step in and say, is there something I can help you with? And probably would mean a whole lot more than, can I give you $50 so you can hire somebody to help you? That's true. That's true. And that's sometimes why it takes a sacrifice. We need to show them that Christ, we need to show them Christ and share the gospel absolutely, without a doubt. I'm saying we need to share Christ. 
But we need to reach out in other ways as well. There's a scripture in, in James chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, and I want to, we're going to close. But look what this says. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his needs, what good is it? It's great to say, here, let me tell you about Christ. And then walk away and that person is still in need of clothes and hungry. The Bible says, what good is that? So what? You saw the need and you didn't do anything about it. Could we purpose in our hearts that no matter how aware that we might think we are, of those around us that are in need, that we would ask God to show us that person that not only we could be a light to, but we could be a friend to, and we could be a help to. Remembering that we are a reflection of our God. And just as the judges of that day were to do the things in the way that God had called them to do to be a reflection, that's what we are. We are called to do that exact same thing. We are to be a reflection of Jesus Christ to everyone around us. Those we meet every day. I want to close with this. It's very likely that their opinion of your God might solely be based in what they see in you. Could we pray and ask God to help us to be aware of those around us. God bless you.